Well, good morning. Good morning. Mark Rogers here. It's uh, a fine, fine spring summer morning here. Actually, it's spring morning. <laughs> sun is sun is popping through beautifully here. And uh, just I uh, hope you had a good sleep. I woke up this morning and always with, like I said, in the prior broadcast, it's, uh, it's always beautiful to have these spring mornings coming up and Open the Word of God, and yes, I have some coffee near me. I love to have coffee, and uh, I still remember in times past being able to share, to enjoy the company of other brothers early in the morning like this, and um, if you're out there listening, you know who you are. We've had lovely times, whether down at the beach or in the backyard or wherever it is, just open the Word of God. And so this morning, we have another beautiful morning coming through, and we have Ezra chapter 3 before us, and last time... We took up in Ezra. We took up the uh, <clears throat> couple things here. We kept, we took up the um, altar being put on its bases in verse three of Ezra three, and uh, we just it, you know as we come through here, trying to get a hold of and just rejoicing with these remnant of people as they come back, and for seventy some years or better, they have not had the privilege of worshiping God as he would wish us to worship him. Now, that was an earthly people. We're taking principles. Um, we're going to talk about principles that God has that don't change. The activity, the, the manifestation of those principles may differ from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but the principles don't change. So what are principles? <clears throat> principles would be like God's holiness, God's demand for holiness. Uh, God's principle of order in terms of worshiping him. He had order that he would give us to show us to the earthly people, Israelites, in the Old Testament. And then he would have order in the assembly today as well. There is order in both aspects. God would ha would wish to <clears throat> meet with us. We see that in the Old Testament, and we again, we see that in the New Testament as well where he would desire to meet with us collectively. Obviously, in the New Testament, we enhance because of the fact that we he dwells as the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Old Testament didn't have that aspect. The principle was there, but the aspect wasn't. We also have the principle of him being in the midst. We have that here in our chapter here, where we find that they find the altar and they find the base and they put the altar on the base as a public testimony to to um, to the thing. And I, and I was just thinking about if we could turn back to uh, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy. This is an important chapter. If if in your life you have ever um, wondered about the place that he would have you here on this earth in a collective manner. Deuteronomy has been of help to me as a young man. And so we find here in Deuteronomy 12, we find that the uh, uh, Moses is laying out the sanctuary. And if you look at this word, the place, and the place shows up quite a bit here in Deuteronomy 12. And first of all, we have to destroy in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 12. You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations you shall possess serve their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. So God would say that we have to displace, we have to put away the idols. 
in order to come see him. And that is important because oftentimes <clears throat> we would like to come see God. We would like to worship with God. We'd like to have him in our, in, in, in our midst, if you will. And we drag our idols in there too. It's a solemn thing to drag our idols into his presence. And it's a whole other topic in terms of idols, and we all fight with it. <clears throat> um, idols have brought themselves, manifested themselves differently in this in this age, but I digress for a second here. Let's jump down to verse 5 of Deuteronomy 12. But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and thither thou shalt come. So in Deuteronomy 5.12, we find out that there is a place, and there is going to be some place that he chooses. And then it says, even unto his habitation you shall seek. And there is a seeking that an individual should have. An individual should say, kind of what James and John, or uh, James and Peter, who was it there in uh, Luke 22, John and Peter, where wilt thou that we prepare the Passover, right? There is a seeking. There is a seeking to be where he would be. And so, I, you know, on a personal note, <clears throat> my grandparents in Africa in World War II, along with some others, were seeking as they came to the realization they were with a missionary board in the Congo there in World War II, and the mission board was supporting them, but there was an exercise upon three different couples, missionary couples that were there at the time, that there would be, where wilt thou? And as we find out, as we walk through Ezra here, the Lord may not necessarily show everything all at once. There is a progression in these people here in Ezra, just like there would be a progression in our lives as well. And so here we have this in Deuteronomy 5, uh, 12, verse 5, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and thither thou shalt come. And so we come on down to verse 11 here. Then there shall be a place, a place. There's the word. There's the place in verse 5. There in verse 11, there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. That is important for God. <clears throat> he wants his name to dwell. He wants a testimony amongst his people. He wanted it then, and he wants it today. And that's important to get a hold of because the main mantra of Christendom today is go to the church of your choice. Go to where we think we can do something here. We've got a marketing program, and I believe me, I love marketing. Oh, I love marketing. But to be marketing in the things of God is a dangerous thing.
where would thou have there? Where would thou have me to do? And where would where would you have me to be? And so that is verse thirteen there as well. Is take heed to thyself; thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou goest. And then verse twenty eight, Deuteronomy twelve twenty eight. Which is why we're in while we're taking a peek at Deuteronomy twelve here. Let's jump over to verse twenty eight, and it says, "Observe." And hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee, and with thy children after thee forever, when thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord their God, thy God. <clears throat> so it behooves us as parents to do these things as God convicts us, right? God can come in and convict us, and we ask the Lord, Lord, where wilt thou? Where, what would you have me to do? And then it says here in this verse here, the, the main emphasis in the second part of the verse 28, and with thy children after thee forever. And we can read there, we can jump over to Exodus 12 in terms of the Passover, and we can see there that God would say, and when your children ask you. When your children ask you. Isn't it lovely to have the children ask, why do we do this? Why do we do this? And the sad state is, is oftentimes the answer may be something along the lines of, well, this is the way the meeting does it or something like that. That's not God's way. Mm -mm. We need to come right into the word of God and say, son or daughter, this is why. This is what I have found. And this is what I believe based on what the word of God has given us. And so there should be children, verse 28, that should be asking these things. And if if yourself or myself as a parent or a grandparent does not get a hold, does not get a hold of these things for ourselves, my question is, is how can the children get a hold of it if the, if the parents and the grandparents don't get a hold of it? All right, well, let's jump back to Ezra 3 here. That was a little leftover meditation that I had from from the earlier broadcast that we did last week. It's always good to have water handy too, because coffee coffee requires water. (laughs) All right. So let me read uh, Ezra three, verse seven. Well, into verse six, but the foundation of the temple, of the Lord was not yet laid. All right. So now verse seven, they gave money unto the masons and to the carpenters, meat and drink and oil unto them, Zidon and to them of Tyre, to bring cedar trees and unto Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa, according to the grant that they had of Cyrus of King of Persia. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God in Jerusalem in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, And the remnant of their brethren were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then, here's a key verse, verse 9. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hanadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the, verse 10, This is Ezra 3, verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in the peril with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. 
And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now we'll go to the last two verses of Ezra 3. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Well, as we get down to the end of this chapter, chapter 3 of Ezra, we find that there's a progression here of, of gathering up money, and they're paying the carpenters here with meat and oil and drink, etc., and they're bringing in fine timber coming in from Lebanon. And they had had the blessing of the king of Persia, right? So the king of Persia had opened up his coffers and was giving them some some money. <clears throat> so we see that here. And into the grant, into verse 7. Now, when we come down here, we see men start getting listed out here, right? And we have Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and the remnant of the brethren. They all came, and they're starting to put the workmen in place. And so we have uh, we have these men, Levites. <clears throat> Levites, as you know, there was 12 tribes. And uh, the Levites... Um, themselves never got a portion of land. They got cities. They got six cities of refuge, but their main portion was to serve God. God says, out of all your 12 tribes, I'm going to redeem one of them out of there, and that's going to be for me, and that's the Levites. And so now, in course, they have these Levite men 20 years upward to, twenty years old and upward, verse into verse 8, to set forward the work. And so it's beautiful to see the fact that young men were getting involved with this. But here's what I want to focus in on, verse 9. Then stood Joshua with, with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hanadad with their sons and their brethren Levites. This is beautiful. Let me just, let me just uh, mute. This is beautiful. Let's just look at um, verse, verse uh, 9 here. This is where we have fathers and sons and grandfathers working together. Isn't that beautiful? I so enjoy that, to see families come together. And I've enjoyed that personally myself, to be able to either work together with my father, who's now with the Lord, or in some small measure, discuss things and work together on things with my grandmother. And now I have the privilege of being able to work with my son on a few things, my daughters, et cetera. And to see fathers and sons and grandsons working together on the things of the Lord. It's thrilling for a father. And I'm certain there's many grandfathers out there that would say the same thing for themselves too. It is thrilling to see families work together for the things of the Lord. That's verse that was verse nine. And then they come together with this course. We see there, verse 11, they sing together by course. Isn't that beautiful? Let's talk about singing together. We don't sing together enough. Now we get sang at, right? Now we have the ability to uh, far go to the days of flipping on the LP 
<laughs> in the big rack. Never had one of those, but I saw them. And, uh, and putting on a record, a vinyl record, you know, those days are way past. And now we've got these things in our phones. We can be sang to, we can be spoken to, we can do whatever. But to sing together, sing together. Now that is a lost, lost art. That's a lost cause. And it doesn't matter if you have a good voice or not a good voice. You know what? The Lord knows. The Lord gave you the voice. The Lord's going to take care of it. But here it says in verse 11, they sang together by chorus in praising and giving thanks to the Lord. This is not something where there is a worship band. Yes, they have some of this going on up here. They have the symbols, but we're going to sing here. We're going to see here that there was the people are shouting with a great shout. They're singing together because the foundation of the Lord was laid. There is cause for rejoicing. Beautiful together. And then we come down into verse 12. The priests and Levites, the ancient men, and many shouted with joy. Now, interesting to note, there may be a combination of those that are weeping, and there may be a there may be a segment of people that are rejoicing. Both are holy unto the Lord. Could you say it that way? Could we think about both are being recognized by the Lord? And so there may be different perspectives on things. There may be something where. There may be sorrow one way and rejoicing another way, but both can be true. Why was it? Let's go back to why it is. The young people look at this temple foundation, they rejoice, they shout with joy. The old men look at this, they cry because, man, Solomon's temple was much more glorious at that time. And so it is, and so it is today. So it is today. You know, it's interesting. There are those out there that would say that we go back to the days of Pentecost that all the mighty works of Pentecost would happen. All the gifts of Pentecost of that day would be here. No, that's not true. We don't have the times of Pentecost right now. We have the Holy Spirit with us, but the church in large part has given a lot of this up. A lot of this up. The majority of it up has lost so much. Take Apostles Paul's doctrine, for instance. Take the, Paul, take the doctrine of Paul, the, the, the things that he laid out. The church and great thing has, has given up these things that were given to the church in the early days. And yet, can we still rejoice? Absolutely. Absolutely we can rejoice. We can rejoice that his name is still withheld in certain places. We can rejoice to be able to say, Lord, it's a day of, of ruin, if you will, but we're still going to give honor and glory to your name. And so it's beautiful to see that here. There is still in the day that we have a cause for rejoicing. So verse 13, last verse of chapter three. So the people could not discern the voice of the, sh the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping. They're just mingling together. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it beautiful to have a congregation where there is both babies crying, <laughs> young people singing, and old people trying to hold a tune? Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful thing, you know. Sometimes there may be a, there may be babies crying in, in in the midst, you know, congregation. And I look over and I might see some some snarky looks. And you know what? I think how sad, how sad, because there are some assemblies that that are just a few older people. They would love to have some babies crying. It's rejoice when the babies cry in our midst, because that means there is new life coming along. And so it is to have singing together, to have little kids' voices to be able to sing, to have those that are 
and they're full of youth and full of energy, belting it out, and the older folks just trying to hold the tune. It's beautiful to see this last verse of Ezra 3, verse 13. The sound is distinguishable. It all blended apart, and it says in the verse 13, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. You know, wouldn't that be beautiful to have the noise be heard afar off? It is such a beautiful thing to come together and to rejoice together, the very, very youngest to the very, very oldest, all the sounds that we make combined to the Lord as we rejoice to see him in the midst. And so that is uh, the end of our chapter here, chapter 13, and we have before us, um, we'll be moving into chapter 4 next time. And so, again, this is an exercise, early morning meditations, and you can find the podcast streaming out on Facebook and YouTube and over on Amazon Music and Spotify and a few other platforms as well. But, you know, may the may the Lord richly bless you, and may the shout, may, may our hearts be turned up to say, at the end of the book of Revelation, John says, even so, come, Lord Jesus, and take your waiting people home. And it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So may the Lord Jesus come for us. But in the meantime, may we enjoy these principles from the book of Ezra and see how they apply today in our walk. And we'll see you next time.